Listening Dog Media. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. The Rugby Podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously. Hello and welcome to Rocket with me, Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. Uh, this week we'll be chatting about the global calendar, the club game, and a little bit of the NFL. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. Good to see you back another week uh, to talk about rugby. Um, but but before we do, with the new easements of lockdown, have you been searching in safari and to see if you can get on a holiday anywhere? <laughs> hey, mate, we uh, we booked a holiday uh, yesterday, actually. Oh, really? Where are you going? Nice little trip down to Portugal. Right, OK. I thought Portugal was questionable whether you can it's go amber, there. It's amber, mate. It's amber at the moment. Oh, uh, that's... Mate, that, you've taken a fly then, have you? Where are you going in Portugal? Uh, the in-laws have got a villa down there. So, oh. where is it? Oh, yeah, no. Between Val de Lobo and Quinta de Liga, mate. Beautiful little spot. Beautiful spot. Oh, amazing. Any room At, at the room end of the day, mate, it is, it's much needed. They've been on lockdown, mate. They've been on lockdown. They've been locked in there for since March. They were due to fly back in March and... Uh, They've had the hardship of uh, being locked in locked down in Portugal in their own place for the last. So you're going out there with a little one. That'll be how long for? Two weeks. Two weeks. Amazing. Is this is a room for five more? I've got three boys and one myself and my wife. Because then we can do the podcast out there, mate. Amazing, mate. I'm happy to. It's. Um, I think the best rate you'll get is ten grand a night. Oh, really? Is it a yeah. big old place? You've married ten, well, ten grand a night, and that'll be in the basement. And uh, oh, okay. if you want to move further up the floors, then uh, we can <laughs> we can discuss, we can negotiate. I'm going to Jersey to see my family over in Jersey, so I don't know whether they're going to fly or drive. I'm not sure yet. It's, um, well, it's quite hard to it's quite hard to drive over the water, isn't it? Well, listen, the Brackens can do certain things; others can't. Now we're getting on a ferry, you muppet. I know, but uh, I, we, no, we, I was looking for looking where to go and maybe go to Spain or Greece or whatever. But you just don't know. You don't know whether you go somewhere and suddenly, you know, you go into lockdown out there and you have got yeah. all of those concerns. Well, that, well, I mean, that's we we didn't have the fear because obviously it's a family place. Um, yeah, if, you know, I don't think we would have booked if it was a hotel or if we were renting a villa or something like that. Because as yeah, you said, if you're in lockdown there, then you know, you you. Losing money fast, mate, aren't you? You know, just yeah. just paying for the hotel room, or whatever it might be. So we're quite fortunate from that that regard. And look, if it gets cancelled, it gets cancelled, and you know the terms and conditions, you can use it by right. April twenty twenty two to exchange uh, it. Um, when are you, you going? Know, then? We'll when are you going? In a couple of weeks, or a couple of weeks? Yeah, a couple of weeks, mate. Yeah. Oh, lovely, lovely. So everything in the last sort of seven days have revolved around the same old thing, the global calendar, and it's interesting watching world rugby, watching the clubs, European rugby, the French, the English holding strong. Um, it's interesting to see all the different parties with all the different opinions. But as far as I can see it, the uh, the English clubs and the French clubs hold a lot of the power. They they own the, own the players, which sort of reminded me of, of that watershed moment in way back in 1995 when I was involved in the in the Rugby World Cup where we got smashed by New Zealand in the semi-finals and it was after that there was rumours that the game was going to go professional and um, we're at that point now I think that was would have been the best opportunity for the Rugby Football Union England Football Union to centrally contract the players 
Um, I just remember I was part of the negotiation team because I was a trainee lawyer at the time and um, we held all the contracts for the, all of the England team. And um, it was very interesting. The sort of we, we, we ended up signing these contracts with, with Packer and these were like two or three year deals and the money was astronomical. Well, it did seem at the time, but they were like 250, depending on what level you were on, like A, B or C. I think I was B or C, lower level, only, you know, six, seven, eight caps or whatever. And we were offered, I don't know, $200,000. The guys at level A were offered $350,000. But we were, we were signing up and it was amazing how amateur it was at the time. When we, when we signed up, it did say in there, in one of the clauses, that they could send you around the world to play in Australia uh, or to play in New Zealand or America or whatever. We all signed these things. I can't believe we signed these things. It's <laughs> like, um, have, you, have you read, uh, it's a great book, and uh, I think Sky did a piece on it, the, the, the sort of uh, the Packer days. Um, God, what do they call it? What do they call that cricket? You know, the West Indies, Australia, and the rest of the world. What was it? Oh, the World Series cricket. World Series yeah. cricket. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's fascinating. Fascinating story about how that came about. And it's exactly the same. He had control of them. And uh, I think the first game, the West Indies were the best side in the world, weren't they? And uh, they were playing Australia. And I don't think they were taking it seriously. And this is like you had the great Joel Garners, Clive Lloyd, Viv Richards, all of that class players. And they got bowled out for next to nothing. And I think... Um, Kerry Packer stormed in the dressing room afterwards and gave him what for? Because he was obviously right. paying him a fortune, probably five times what they were getting, you know, earning before that, um, playing just sort of regular one day's county, uh, you know, for, for their sort of nations, uh, provinces and clubs and what have you. And, uh, yeah, he read the Riot Act, mate. So, look, he's, he was obviously a very shrewd businessman. You know, he wanted to bring razzmatazz. He wanted to monetize, obviously, the value of the top athletes. Um and it, worked and, he, in, they, and it worked in cricket, didn't it? Because he brought in the coloured clothing. He brought in the day-night games. He brought in the white ball. The helmets as well. He brought in the helmets, um, you know, uh, to, to cricket, which are all used now. You know, he was a real trailblazer. And look, it's you can get nostalgic or, you know, wish about, you know, what, what could have been. But you're right, Brax. You know, imagine if he had started... Um, a sort of, not a revolution, an evolution within rugby becoming professional in 95, where it would be now. And would we have, no, we wouldn't, is the answer. Would we have all the infighting we've got now, the butting of heads, the sort of, you know, the archaic sort of committee men on certain certain panels? Here's, and- here's the thing, Nick, at the moment, you know, when, I look, when you look at uh, broadly around the world, is the major problem is, and, and the reason why the, the, it didn't go ahead with Packer is because Francois Pinar's South African team ended up signing for their union um, and all got, got paid quite... Healthily, I believe, but they, that they was Louis Lutz, wasn't it? Louis Lutz was yeah. the guy. Louis Lloyd. They they he, they pulled out of the packet deal, which meant everything crumbled. Um, but but interestingly, see, obviously, South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, the model was to be centrally contracted, whereas in Europe there was obviously you know France uh, and England. Uh, the the clubs or the clubs ended up signing up the players and then leasing the players to to England, and there was always a fight when it came to how many weeks in the year. And over the years, it's got harder and harder. One of the reasons why Clive would have resigned was because he said he won a World Cup. He had something like, let's say, 60 days with the players. And after winning the World Cup, he was then told he had 20 days with the players. And he just, he'd, had, he'd had enough. 
Um, it's but, actually, but think- it's actually that they've, as far as that's concerned, it's got a bit better, Brax, because in 2008, a deal was done to have more release weeks. The fallow weeks in the Six Nations, for example, I remember playing my first couple of Six Nations. I'd go back to my club for the two, you know, because you played two, two internationals, one week off, one international, yeah. one week off, two internationals. And those weeks off, I was back with Harlequins playing and it was tough. It was ridiculous. That's hard. Back. That's hard. And uh, you had a two-week build-up for the Autumns and the Six Nations, whereas previously, as you would know, you only you met up on the Monday or the Sunday night after your last Premiership or European game and then you were playing a test match uh, the following Brilliant. weekend. So it, that, that's got a tiny bit better. Um, but, yeah, but, but, I remember but in 2007, saying, the World Cup 2007, Rob Andrew, who was whatever his position was with England at the time, but uh, I remember speaking to him and he just said the horse has bolted. And in all fairness, you know, in 13 years, you could probably say the same thing. You know, that they had an opportunity in 95. Um, the RFU didn't want a century contract in England. They didn't want to help fund the clubs. So a few clubs went under. You know, clearly a lot of the Northwest clubs went under as well. Some struggled. Others thrived. Um, but what we're seeing now is a lot of the, the financial model is struggling from a club perspective and they need to recoup that money and, and they're not going to give up their sort of golden egg of playing during the regular rugby season with all the competitions they've had and also how they've built the game. Let, let's not forget what the clubs have given the game. Amazing. The, you Amazing. Know, the standards, the, enter, you know, the day out that they, they give, um, the quality of players they're able to sign, the premiership you know, being such a, a, um, a competitive league. And the top fourteen as well, and the European uh, Ch- um, Cup championship you know, the he- the been Heineken, amazing. The Heineken yeah. Cup back in the yeah. day, now the Champions Cup. You know what a spectacle that is. You know, it's, it's but isn't it? Is, isn't it amazing? I mean, th- there is. Um, you know, th- the problem is the fact that the French and the English aren't essentially contract. And you're right. You have to give them credit. They've built the game, haven't they, from within? And I think the problem is now with world rugby and they're trying to get this calendar, it's much easier on, on, say, the Southern Hemisphere when you're dealing with New Zealand Union, you're dealing with Australia, you're dealing with South Africa Union who own the players and then lease them out to the clubs. Whereas over here in, in France and England, it's different. And they're not even allowing the clubs to come to the table, the English and the French clubs, to come to the negotiations table and to actually have a, a frank discussion and a, a discussion about player welfare and about a, a new season. They've just blanked them. So I just find it really typical of rugby as we know it from all of these years. They can't agree on anything. And the, the most simplest thing to do, I think, really, is to create a better sort of competition internationally. And we've talked about this during the autumn, whether it's like a World Series or the, the top three Six Nations teams against the top three uh, Sanzar teams, that sort of thing, will bring in a lot of revenue. And like you said, a bit like the Ashes, you sort of create a, a model, a, an environment, a competition where everyone's interested. Whereas at the moment, it's, well, we play New Zealand, so what? Then we play Tonga, and then we play Argentina, so what? It doesn't mean anything. And I think there is merit in all of that but the way to get the French and the English to sign up to this is quite simple it's money that's all it is you have to bring them to the table and say look this tournament's going to generate x amount of millions of pounds and that's going to filter down into the clubs which in effect will almost be like centrally contracting the players and I think that's the only way through it it's all about money and I think if the if the there won't be clubs, enough Brax. I don't think there'll you be you don't enough. think there will be well, if you have a look at um, the, the the okay, so for one one season, the TV money, right? Um, the, the the TV money that the clubs get 
the the crowds the club pull, pulls in. Okay, if you reduce yeah. that by having summer rugby, that's what they're saying. Summer rugby. Yeah. TV's not going to pay for club rugby when you've got. We've spoken about this. All the other events going on in the summer: Wimbledon, a football Euros, mm. or the World Cup, the Open Golf. Um, you've got Ascot. You, you know, rugby's traditionally a winter sport. It's seen as a winter sport yeah. amongst many people. They're, they're not going to venture. People on holiday as well. You're losing so much revenue, bums on seats. And TV companies will know that TV, you know, the TV uh, broadcasters will know this and they'll go, well, actually, if we're competing with all of them, the value goes right down. So not only do you lose money, bums on seats, you lose TV right, re- revenue, right? Okay. So the just, to, just, just on that, I, I agree with you. Just someone did mention this to me the other day and they did say, but you do realize that, that rugby competes on a weekly basis with football. Uh, and so actually, if you twist it around, actually is football is a much bigger mammoth competition than any of these other sports. So that's quite interesting. But Yeah, that is interesting. But let's have a look at the, t- the, the type of... John Barnes is on about the type of people that watch rugby, the type of people that watch football. Generally, are pretty different that go to games, right? Yeah. And, you know, the people, that go, the people that go and watch, you know, Wimbledon and go to Ascot and, you know, are going to go on holiday in the summer... Probably to actually to Portugal to their own places. Like well, mate, are probably going to be rugby supporters. In you know, in all fairness, if you have a demographic, I reckon. If yeah. You okay. Up, yeah. Maybe. You know, some people might have a go at me for that, but uh, and yeah, look, they compete with football, but a lot of the a lot of the games are rugby now because football still has a majority of their games at three o'clock on a Saturday, isn't it? Yeah. Three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. But I'm not saying that the money will be different. I'm not saying the money will be more. I'm saying that. The, 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 if the World Rugby Internationals is, has a better competition framework, that money from that should then allow money to go into the club game whereby they don't need as many games because they're going to get extra support from the RFU. I know they get currently you know, a certain amount of a players, Owen Farrell's salary, part of it would be paid by the RFU. What I'm saying is whatever the gross receipts of this new world competition are, which I think will be astronomical, I think then what should happen is a proportion of that money should go back into the English and French clubs for them to sign up to it. So less games means more internationals, which means more money from those internationals to pay the clubs to lease their players. That's all I'm saying. Slightly different to what maybe you think I'm saying. No, no, I got what you were saying. I'm just saying the amount of money needed to satisfy the English and French clubs. Because if you, you would hope, right that the clubs and the um, and the and and their regulatory uh, leagues, so the Premiership and uh, uh, you know, the top fourteen and the Pro D Tour, okay, so the French yeah. National, uh, what is it, the National Lean Lean One or whatever it is, yeah, yeah, is uh, they would have had a model, maybe a three three five ten year model. They've got a model on where they project. Look, take COVID out of it now. They've got a model of where they project the TV money and the TV rights being and the growth of the game. And that is going to climb. You know, that's going to be on an upward curve, you, you would think. Otherwise, someone's doing their job very, very poorly and they know that. Um, and and as, as I mentioned, part of that growth is expanding stadiums, getting bums on seats. How do you get bums on seats? A good product out there. A product that's not completely saturated. Okay, and overdone and overused. You get the best yeah. players. You bring in the best players. You pay the best players to come in because they want to see the best talent on show. You know that they want to take their family to have a good time, but also see um, the best live. Um, and you create these rivalries. You create this 
this sort of tribalism which English and French rugby have with their fans. You know, that's why mm. attendances are, are pretty good generally for, for club rugby, actually. They're obviously awesome for football, but we're not talking about that. Is, is there going to be enough money to pay the internationals, um, all the unions, um, from, and all, all the travel um, all over the world coming in from everywhere, sponsors, TV, to be able to satisfy 14 clubs in the top, top league in France, 12 in the second, 12 in the premiership, 14 in the um, Pro 14, um, 15 or 14 in the Super Rugby. Um, I know they'll get funded by the union, but uh, you know that, that, that's, that's a lot to divvy up, isn't it? When you think that they've got their yeah. own models, the clubs will have their own models of how they. I just, I just think the model. I just think the that the uh, the club rugby model, when it comes to income, you've obviously got your own sponsorship. You've got bums on seats. Uh, you've got the TV money, uh, and then you've got money from the RFU for English-based players. But I do think that uh, you know the extra. For example, they're talking now about instead of playing the autumn internationals. Because of COVID, they're talking now about playing a round robin of Six Nations again, aren't they? In the autumn, which was quite 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 innovative. I did chuckle when I saw that Wales, who have decided that they they can't have any supporters, are now potentially going to use Twickenham as their home ground, which is uh, which is quite interesting. Um, but but again, it's it's obviously you know they're trying to create uh, interest in a competition. Let's call it uh, Six Nations Mark Two in the autumn. And one game, genuinely, for, for them, they, they will sell out in hours a game between England and Wales or England and Ireland at Twickenham. They'll sell it out within minutes. It will be gone. It will fly out the door. Uh, maybe if they, if they did it twice a year, it might not happen. But all I'm saying is, you know, one match at Twickenham, just think of scalability. One match at, say, Saracens or, or even Harlequins of 12, 13, 14,000. I'm not sure in capacity compared to... I know it's going to be COVID less normal. Let's say 40,000, 50,000 at Twickenham with the rights. I'm just saying that the money is much more in the international game than it is the rugby game. And unfortunately, we never signed them up originally in '95 to essentially contract. We're stuck with what we've got. The only way forward is somehow to create more value in the international games and then actually pay the, the, the French and the English clubs off to make it happen. Otherwise, we're going to be at loggerheads for years, absolute years, and nothing's going to happen. Yeah, anyway, it's, just a thought. It's it's what you want to put first, and uh, you know, as you say, rugby union is very much a strength in in the international game. But the clubs have uh, the clubs have been very very strong in the last number of years, especially with their products and their competitions. You know, in Europe and the Premiership and the top fourteen, and um, and, uh, they don't, mate, and, they, and why why should they give it up? You know, owners no. have invested a lot of money, sponsors have invested a lot of money. You know, I know they sort of come and go sponsors. Um, and you create a brand, you create an identity. Um, you know, you are the beauty you've got with club rugby here, and why it isn't divisional, if you like, or provincial, is you are representing your own local area. You know, um, it Gloucester and Exeter, a Bath, a Leicester, um, you know, Harlequins. You know, you're representing, you know, Worcester. You're representing your own area, and you, and the history plays a huge part in that as well, Brax, in terms of where the clubs come throughout history. So. To water yeah. that down and saturate it and to not have your top internationals and products in that area or it's 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 a bitter pill to swallow. Um the, the and, and the other thing with the international game is about I've said this before, you know, you run a sort of bi 
biennial, um, but obviously, uh, what, what are they looking at? In between the World Cups, are there some sort of like a rugby super tournament? It, yeah. it made, devalues the World Cup. It completely devalues the World Cup. You know, all the mystery about mm. who's going to win the World Cup and, you know, looking forward to this side and that side play. It's, it starts to become, actually, what's the most important thing to win now? There's, there's so many... Mm. So much silverware and trophies on offer. One's just as important as the other. You've seen this in golf. Golf now, the majors don't hold the same kudos and credibility that they once did amongst the players in the golfing community because you've got this race to Dubai now. Um, mm. You know, you've yeah. got uh, obviously a load of other championships. You know, the, the FedEx and all that sort of stuff that have now overtaken and become a bit bigger, and what the players are sought after, but. You know, does that devalue the golf majors and everything? I think you've got to keep your crown jewels in place, mate, because that is the pinnacle. People like to watch the very, very best, the pinnacle. No, um, I think you're of, right of, of of the sport. Otherwise, it just gets watered down, mate, and uh, eventually all it does is just becomes a bit of theatre and entertainment for people instead of actually mm-hmm. a sporting. Ever, I mean, if if ever there's an opportunity to 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 trial this global calendar type scenario, it's now, isn't it? Because of the delays in the seasons but um, again then you start you know you're messing with European Cups and I listen it do you know what it's such a mess I mean I, I would hate to be in charge of any of these organizations whether the PRL or World Rugby and um, just on the clubs um, I just noticed a few news this week um, you played with him uh, Brad Barrett is uh, leaving Saracens at the end of the year I'm not sure whether he's leaving as in retiring or leaving or going somewhere else I'm not sure but you played with him. He was a fantastic player, wasn't he? Uh, he's uh, mate, great, of... great, great captain. Great captain. Um, you know, he wasn't a player with the X factor or anything like that, but he, no. he was like the glue of a side. And um, there's a big difference, mate, when he plays for Saracens, certainly in terms of, I think, their win ratio and, uh, you know, a process that goes a long, a long way towards that, given their identity, is their defence. Um, yeah. And... He's a, he sort of captain. Caps, he's, yeah. he's a sort of captain that he leads by example. He's very level-headed on the field, treats the referee well, gets a good rapport with the referee, and the troops like to follow him. You know, there's yeah. there's bigger names in that Saracen side, but uh, I don't think, certainly at the moment, and that's why he is skipper, that there's better leaders. No, uh, I think you're right. I and think and you know what? Well, he time. has been a tremendous yeah. servant to him. He has been yeah. a tremendous servant to that club. So just on the club front, though, I've, I've been reading a lot about, uh, and you'll know more, uh, George Skivington, who's, uh, who's signed to, to coach the forwards at Gloucester. And there's this fallout now with uh, London Irish who are saying it was a, an illegal approach to him. But you're, you're a, a coach. I, I guess you're, I mean, what's, the, what's the, um, the protocol and the format? I guess he's got a contract to the end of 2022. Two with London Irish, but suddenly signed for Gloucester. I mean, you you've been coach at Harlequins and out South Africa. Well, what is the etiquette? Do you get illegal approaches while you're coaching someone, or, or what? What? Well, happens? it's a bit. It's a bit like players. Yeah, players get approaches. Um, it's like everything's got a price, isn't it? I suppose, and uh, but also you know everything's got a conversation. Um, and it sounds like you know London Irish certainly aren't happy about the approach. You know George is a highly, highly rated coach. He's gone there to be head coach actually, so head coach. Oh, he's a head coach, coach, right? And I'd imagine he'd be coaching the forwards as well because um, that's what he did yeah. at London Irish. Um, um, <coughs> and you know he's a young, young, talented, you know, highly rated coach. Um, and I suppose that they're not happy 
I think he was contracted till was it is it next season? Twenty twenty. Yeah, it was twenty twenty one summer twenty twenty one summer. Okay, so he still had another year on his contract, and that you don't know how these sort of things go down with the George approached. Um, you know that the management, uh, the board at, at London Irish, and said, "Look, you know, I've been approached, or you know, this opportunity's opened up. I'm going to apply for it." And you know, if they offer it to me, this is where I want to be. You know, I hope you won't stand in my way as far as that's concerned. Um, I don't know. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm purely speculating. And Did you apply for it? What? what um, no, I didn't apply for it, mate. Um, no? And if, uh, you, know, you know, I think you, you don't, you never want to stand in the way of a player's ambition. You know, if that's no. what they want to do. Um, and we've spoken about the, the club v country debate with England. And, uh, mm. you know, that can get quite sticky sometimes of whether you're in the elite squad or not. And clubs sometimes hold the rights to pull you back if you're not named in the elite squad. And ultimately, you've got to do what's right by the player. And if his dream is to, you know, achieve the ambitions he wants to do, mm. um, and it's done within reason and with plenty of warning, then I think... You know, you've got to live by that because ultimately it's still a business and it can be quite ruthless. And, you know, as we've seen, it's getting more ruthless. And, uh, you know, there's more sort of, there's more infighting and fighting going on in the the world of rugby every single day, it seems, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, I I think they said they'll consider their options, didn't they? So we don't really know how hard they'll go on it or how it was done. I think more will come out. It's more probably more about compensation that London Irish might want for him. But ju- just you as a coach, though, are you, are you actively looking? Do you have an agent? Do you, I mean, how does it work? You know, when you're a, a coach and you're looking for work, because I know you love your coaching. I mean, I mean, how does it work? So you get your agent, or do you do you speak to players to see if there's opportunities? Because I'm guessing now there's a lot of coaches thinking, hang on a sec, with these cuts, especially in Wales and around the world, you know, you know, might not have a job. So. How does it work in the coaching world? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I have an agent and you sort of keep your ear close to the ground, don't you? And uh, I think, you know, it's, 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 it's tough, mate. It's tough because, mm. look, you know the na- name of the game, the nature of the game is that. You, you, you know, you can find yourself sort of without work quite quickly or in a job for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, it's a results-driven business, isn't it? Um, yeah, some are more forgiving than others, um, I suppose, and some have sort of loftier, loftier ambitions, don't they, as well? And uh, look, uh, you know, you just got to put yourself in the shop window, really, and give yourself an opportunity, haven't you? And uh, it's a it's a very rewarding job, mate. And you know, you do a little bit down at Wanstead, don't you? And you've done a bit of specialist coaching. I remember seeing you down at Harlequins, and yeah, it is a very it can be a frustrating job. Of course, it can be. Um, uh, but it, it's I just, very, I, very rewarding. When you see individuals and in a group grow together yeah. and achieve things and achieve success, and whether that's silverware or whether that's just overachieving yeah. you know, the, the quality you've got, um, it's a great feeling. It's a great feeling. I think, I think for me, and, and, and I understand why a lot of people go into it, I mean, one, one of the things I, I guess why I never went into full-time coaching was I think one of the reasons why I wanted to retire was because from the age of 18, 19, every week I was preparing to play rugby, just like you were, you know. And I was very lucky. I played at Bristol for four years as an amateur. And then when it went professional, signed for Southsons, I was there for 10 years. Um, but it, it's the sort of, um, it, it's not just the physical uh, hardship, it's more the mental hardship, you know. Every season, trying to get fit, injuries, form, up, down, in, out of England or whatever. And after a while, I was a bit like, you know, I really want to do something else. And and I think I I really enjoyed the 
skills coaching, but there's certain individuals who absolutely love their rugby so much who who can replicate what they had as playing as being coaches. And I'm, I'm, I'm surprised. Sometimes I'm surprised some of the players who weren't, I suppose, sort of leaders, you know, in the teams who that I play, who become coaches. And I look at them and, I'm, and I'm, I remember being in meetings with them about tactics and what we're trying to do. And they didn't have an absolute <laughs> scooby-doo. And then suddenly they're England, well, not England coaches, but they're, they're really high up. And I just think, how oh, have they got that job? Uh, but it's interesting, you know, yeah, I, I, I do love it, uh, but I do love my other things as well. So, um, yeah, mate, I mean, I've been, enjoying, I've been enjoying the last number of months sort of helping, you know, helping a few businesses out, you know, doing a bit of consultancy and also learning from, from businesses yeah. and, and, and having my weekends, to be honest with you as well. Oh, that's um, good. Because, just, because when I played, when I played, mate, I, I mean, I was very lucky. I, the longest I was out was six weeks. Amazing. Uh, twice. Once was in pre-season, so I didn't miss any Saturday games. So wow. every weekend was a game of sorts with the odd weekend maybe off. And That's then Australian coaching exactly the same. So it's been quite nice the last six, seven months. But, how, tell uh, me, you miss the itch, how, mate. You miss the itch. Listen, I'll tell you one coach who's, who's probably thinking, what shit, what have I done? It's Steve Borthwick, who's coaching Leicester. Uh, very soon and 12 of their players have refused to re-sign their contracts now with the new wage cut I mean he's he's walking into a shit fest at Leicester isn't he I mean what is going to happen my god like lots of players le- le- leaving you know Johnny Mays le- will be leaving and quite a, a load of other players but well, Johnny Mays left and they signed the dolo so uh... <laughs> I don't, think, I, mean, I don't think they've saved any money there, but uh, no. But I wonder what's I wonder what's happening at that club now. I mean, I think twelve players, a third of the team, have refused to sign extensions or pay cuts, and they're all looking for other jobs. So, I mean, careful what you wish for, eh, Steve Borthwick? No, I don't know. He might have. It might be amongst his plans. Um, they had a clear out. They had a big clear out. You know, a couple of months ago as well. Um, so, you know, he, he's in charge. He knows what squad he wants and. So they yeah. some sort of, you know, chess pieces moving around and uh, binning quite a few of them as well. Um, but yeah, it's not, uh, you know, I think Leicester were one of the clubs, weren't they, that sort of were trying to go quite hard on players when COVID came in, you know, from what I understand, yeah. that they were threatening yeah. that they might sell the club and things like that and rebuy it if players were forcing them to pay their contracts sure. out. And you think, what? why, you know, if ever there was a time for unity in rugby, right? And mm. it's called rugby union. Union means as one. You couldn't yeah. be further from the truth, could you? I don't know. To, I mean, I, all over the world, within clubs v clubs, as we've been discussing, it's just remarkable. It's absolutely remarkable. It is remarkable. I mean, of all the teams that I, I see the demise, I look at Leicester and you see some of the individuals that they've got. It's just, oh, I mean, I just think, you know, how have they got to this stage with all of those good players in the side? I just don't think the signings have necessarily worked. I think part of it's got to be coaching and the backroom staff and everything. It's got everything since they've got everything wrong, but um, they're, they're still a sleeping giant in, in my view. I guess you've been watching some of the uh, rugby over in New Zealand, which has been fantastic to watch. But did you see that uh, this new kid? I think, is it, is it Caleb Clark? Did you see him? Is that how you see Oh, Caleb him? Clark. Caleb Clark, jeez, what? Mate, forget, a mate, forget about the backs, mate. This, this oh, uh, number on, eight, man. Hoskins Satutu. Oh, how good! The yeah. Blues. Oh, mate. Now, New Zealand might have been worrying about who's replacing Kieran Reid at number eight. 
They don't need to worry anymore. That kid is class. Oh. He's got some skills. He, I kept I kept confusing him with um, is Ioni the winger who's playing in the centre because they got both got the bleached hair. Well, and Patrick Tuipulutu has got it as well. Yeah, maybe. Oh, a and I was, done. but no, Callum. Have, have you heard though? Have you heard Hoskins has come out and said his mother's English? Really? Yeah, he apparently, allegedly he said uh, he said my mum's English, so uh, there might be a bit of a bun fight. For <laughs> Can you imagine? H and one sim, mate. Gets no, but what? No, first. okay, but listen, Clark, Clark's Clark's uh, try, and then he set up another try, and it, the legs on him, the power on him. No, you, but, mate, you don't want to be in an open space with that guy. I've, what I've enjoyed about that tournament is 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 actually it's gone down to the last couple of minutes in some of those games. It's been. Absolutely scintillating rugby, and the skill level is so good. The players coming through, but it's it feels like um, I don't know. It just feels like helter skelter rugby, doesn't it? It's just like well, it, it is. It is, mate. I mean, I was over there last year, and uh, I remember bumping to Jeff Parling. You know, speaking of Leicester Locks, yeah, Jeff Parling was is coaching the Rebels, and we played it. You know, we went out for a beer after we played them, and uh, he was just like he just can't can't he couldn't get over, and like we. You know, obviously, you know what it is, but when you're seeing it with your own eyes, about just literally joué, play from anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Later on in a tournament, as you get to sort of, you know, right, final qualifying, and so then game management comes into a lot more, and uh, you know, the kicking game and all that sort of stuff, and defence is up it as well. Did you? But the yeah. early rounds, mate. The early rounds, it's like we've just got to score as many tries as possible with the most ridiculous skill levels as possible. Did you see Bowden Barrett? I mean, uh, one-handed pickup in his 22 holy shit and he was at full pelt and he just picked this ball I thought oh my god and all my boys were like oh my god did you see that so yeah it's um, really it's always been like that mate it's been it's, it's, it's a bit sad actually that uh, that it's dwindled in terms of it's the interest and the audience and everything mainly because they they messed around with it by introducing conferences and yeah, you know, they, you know they had to, I suppose, try and grow it with getting a Jaguar how's, and everything. But uh, it was. Joe Mark it, mate, I remember watching. There. I remember love watching it before playing a game. We used to love watching Super Rugby and you used to get inspired by it. So you'd watch it at sort of ten in the morning in your house. Yeah, drive to Quinns, play a game or whatever it was. Um, or if you're away, you're in your hotel room watching it, and you saw a couple of bits of inspiration from that. You're talking about it, and it, you know, it would, you know, you get even more motivated to go yeah. out and play you know how's like, joe martin gone over how's he got on is he a friend of yours Did he do yeah right mate, joe, mate, that's a that's a great decision of his so i think you know i'm not sure whether he'd egged on by eddie jones maybe because he did really really well in the warm-up games before, uh, before the world cup didn't he and yeah. and he suggested look there might be an opportunity and i think with your contract up why don't you have it written in that you do half a well half a premiership season but a whole season of super rugby yeah, um, New Zealand and Quinns obviously have that New Zealand link and I'm not sure if that helped out but uh, he went down to the Blues and it's interesting what he says actually and again you know coaching forwards and defence out there I found it as well is the game's so much slower up here you think right you're bringing your sort of defensive systems and all of that mm. sort of stuff and you know make, you know, help them from that side because obviously the focus is, is, is much more on attack and he says yeah I thought my game was really strong defensively and I went out there to learn off you like know, Sabota Parrot and Rico Ioni you know in terms of the, yeah. the attack and footwork and space and all that sort of stuff and communication and he says but actually I've realized my defense isn't that good because it's bloody hard to defend when the ball's super quick and they're offloading all the time you can't yeah. get to position and uh, 
you know, he he's been he's been on the front line, isn't he? Doing that, he'll come back. He's a he's a brilliant player to coach, mate. So coachable, um, so humble as well, and down to earth, but incredibly talented and with a big future ahead of him. Um, he's just got to displace Henry Slade and Manu Tuilangi. That's all. Small ass. <laughs> that's not easy. That's not yeah. easy. He he always seems he's got a lot of pace on him. And he looks really organised, but. Yeah, I think when it comes to international rugby, sometimes you need that bit of X factor, and um, I guess that the rugby he's experienced now will help bring that out. It'd be interesting if he comes back a better player in the Premiership, won't it? Yeah. Yeah. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. On Friday, we'll be joined by NFL star Jason Bell. Here's a quick teaser to see what to expect. Yeah, let, 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 let's think about this. First of all, let's 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 talk about what position he played. He was a punter, right? Yes. I mean, he wasn't hitting anybody. So <laughs> uh, the fact that he threw that out there, he doesn't even know the physicalities of the NFL, let alone rugby. So you just gotta you gotta understand who the messenger is on that one, and uh, he does not represent. The oh, NFL I think, and how I think we his, think about I think his Twitter account got hacked, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> he, he better claim that. That that that's better because he doesn't want guys like you coming after. <laughs> Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter, the brand new rugby podcast. So yeah. Nick, I know you uh, you're on Twitter quite a lot, and uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Now, mate. I'm going on it now. Are you going on it now? Now, so so uh, let me point you in the direction of Marquette. King, the NFL punter, whatever that means, punter. I guess he's like a running back when they kick to them, kick returner. Uh, but but he he did, made a tweet. If you can read out what the tweet says, have you got it there? Um, it says, I haven't. Says, I, I know. I know that he says something like, "If I played rugby, if I played rugby union, I would dominate. Easy, I would dominate." And then there was a plethora of international people coming back with quite funny. Uh, an interesting. Uh, Ellis like I'd bend, yeah, bend him right up. Stick to wearing <laughs> your bike helmet and shoulder cushions, my boy. That's probably the best one. The All Blacks. Yeah, best response. Sort, best response. We, we can all, always sort out a training session from you. But it's interesting with with American football and and uh, and rugby union. They're they're so closely related, but they're not in a way. Um, nah, mate, mate. <laughs> they're not. They're not. They wear. They listen. They're, they've they're got the same not. shape ball, mate. They got the same shape ball. That's just about it. That, listen, it, it literally is just about it. It is. I do think though, America is a sleeping giant when it comes to the the possibilities that if they actually took up rugby in a full time professional manner, not just the MLR, but properly, they could be absolutely fantastic. But it'd take a long, long time. But I, I remember Dan Lyle who played a bit of American football, came over and um, he was pretty good, actually, as a number eight. Yeah, uh, he used good to player, pick, mate. Good player. He used to pick pick up the ball from the number eight and do a American uh, football pass 40 yards to the winger, which is quite interesting. Uh, but the the intricacies of rugby are, are so difficult, as you've seen people like you know Andy Farrell and those sort of players coming in, struggling to I think it was uh, Dan Lyle. I remember Dan Lyle, uh, he was interviewed or whatever, and they asked him, and look, People, you know, you sort of naysayers might go, yeah, but he's a failed NFL player. I don't know whether he was or he wasn't. But he basically said he just loved the continuity of rugby. Because yeah. Because American football is so stop-start. It's three seconds, right, stop-start. And I yeah. just, I think they're completely incomparable anyway. Um, you know, people enjoy both sports and they're both great sports in their own right. And 
my God, do you get some of the best athletes in the world in American football? I mean, there, there, yeah. there's, there's always rumours, aren't there, that actually the fastest person in the world is probably playing American football rather than sprinting 100 metres because you, you get more money, you know. But uh, do you know it's specialised specialized skill sets. You know, you're, you need to basically yeah. be, you know, I don't know, you know, certain players need to be able to, you know, uh, in the agility test, hit this time or whatever it is, you know, with, with the bench press, hit this, you know, 40 metre sprint, hit this. And they're consistently tested on it, aren't they? That if they drop down, unlike rugby, so certainly when I was getting older in my twilight years, but I was actually playing some of my best rugby, if they had decided to select the squad or the team, okay, week by week or every year on what you did from an athletic performance point of view, I'd have been out of a job. (laughs) But that's what they do over there, mate. If you can't do that anymore, you know, from a strength and conditioning point of view, you're done. You know, it's only the quarterback that gets the sort of intangible sort of vision, skill, allowances, you know, that keeps them in the team. I say only the quarterback. There's probably a few others. I'm not an expert in it. But generally, it's so specialised that if if you're unable to, you know, shift this amount of weight or move that quickly or, t- or change direction like that or you're out. that hard or whatever, you're done. You're cut. And it doesn't matter how many games you've got under your belt. Um, that's it. I'm with you. I mean, in my last couple of years, I've probably played some of my best ever rugby in my whole career. And I wasn't as fast and I wasn't as strong and I wasn't as fit. But what I was up there, my rugby brain was so much faster than it ever was that I could think ahead of the time. And I remember my last my last season, they were talking about me going on the Lions. I'd retired a few years and I was playing really well. And they were saying, and I was thinking, why are they saying that? But actually, and I realized what all my lines of running were different. I mean, I would cheat line all the time. I would throw, I used to throw the ball backwards and run backwards. And then towards the end of my career, and you might see this a lot with, uh, say, Aaron Smith and the scrum halves nowadays, I throw the ball backwards and I run forwards, wait for an yeah, offload. Yeah, yeah. And it was, it's amazing how much I learned just by, you know, over the years, especially my kicking strategy. I used to do roller kicks a lot more into the corners when it was first starting to come out and I started doing. And I just I just did things differently. And 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 also when you... It also, you from a scrum that, half point of view, mate, because you're such a critical part of the game is... Knowing when to speed the ball up, knowing when, yeah. know, knowing how to communicate with your forwards, how to get your forwards into a game, how to get them out of a game, yeah. and get your ten back in the game, and yeah. knowing where you know in different areas of the pitch, and those but are the I'll nuances you, you're talking about in rugby in yeah. terms of certain positions, especially is you know experience counts for a hell of a lot, a hell of a lot. Yeah, um, and, and it'd be it'd be good to talk, uh, and we'd be great to have Jason Bell, the NFL star, on the line in a minute. But it'd be good to talk to him about. Um, you know about rugby players and and American footballers players and 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 the tweet that came out there. But I, I remember going uh, to the USA and playing a couple of tests out there for the England Wilds. I think it was the last two thousand and one. I was captain of the tour, and yeah, we won by I don't know, we won quite convincingly. But what I noticed after the first ten minutes, holy shit, do they tackle uh, slightly differently to rugby tackling? They were flying in from different angles right and they weren't they weren't using their arms they weren't wrapping they were they were tackling a bit like a bit like Owen Farrell does without his arms oh my god but we had a few we had quite a few concussions in the first game and we were like holy shit guys if someone's coming just duck just get out of the way because they they were tackling like American footballers it's bloody dangerous yeah but, it's good yeah, but Americans Americans have always stuck to their own games haven't they hey yeah. The sport, the sports they brought up—that's it. They've always stuck to that on mass, haven't they? That no I just one else wonder, plays around the world. 
I wonder why Christian Wade, you know, after his touchdown, touchdowns didn't really get necessarily the opportunity to make the final cut of the main team and whether well, he's going to be able to tell us that, won't he? Yeah. The brand new rugby podcast. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. Thanks for joining us on Rocket this week. We'll be talking more NFL with Jason Bell on Friday. Thank you. <laughs>